the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. We come to you on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And our co-host, Carol Zerniel, is here. Uh, She's been on special assignment. We're glad you're back. Thank you very much. Carol is the executive director of the National Council on Aging and uh, now the chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging. Chairman of the board, yeah, just came back from Washington. It's been so long, yes. I know, just came back from Washington where we had a nice meeting. Oh, cool. Doing good work, and, you know, we're all going to figure out the new administration and serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'll stay away from that one because we don't do politics on we this show. We don't do politics. And, and, and all, <laughs> we're all figuring it out. Yeah. No matter what side of the aisle you're on. That's right. You've got to work. We're all figuring it out. Figure it out. So as we get ready to talk in just a few minutes with Bill Wilkinson, who is kind enough to come on in. He is the executive director, CEO at Roy Moss Youth Alternatives. And Bill also was a long-distance caregiver, his mom in Florida, his dad in Florida, and uh, recently lost his mom. And we're going to talk about how that was and how it was dealing long-distance with that kind of challenge. And it's always good to have, I mean, it's every time we have a, a, a caregiver as opposed to somebody who's in the profession of caregiving. I mean, these are important stories, so we really appreciate Bill coming in and speaking with us today. Absolutely, and the odd thing is in his real-life job, uh, he cares for a ton of teenagers and uh, adolescents at Roy Moss Youth Alternatives. I know. So. Somebody have just this tremendous capacity to <laughs> help not. others, you know. Yeah, well, he can <laughs> <Yeah>. let us know. <laughs> right. We'll find out how that cortisol level is going on. But before we do that, uh, you know, we're, we're in a day and age, and they say during and post-holidays and New Year's behind us, there are a whole lot of folks who end up in the ER. I was talking just the other day with a registered nurse uh, down in Corpus Christi talking about the challenges uh, that many of her patients are facing. And you came up with a list, Carol Zerniel, Well, four times you really should go to the ER. Well, it was interesting because this article, I must have seen this list in three different publications, and it was longer in some and it was shorter in others. So I picked the four because I thought, you know, these are, these really are the top four. And, and I think this is important. Why it's important to think about when you should go to the emergency room is I have no, I could give you examples of people who didn't go to the emergency room and it didn't go well. I, someone died. Um, this aversion to I don't want to pay for, you know, an ambulance. I don't want to pay for the emergency room. Well, what if you're having a heart attack? What if it's something serious? And and sometimes it is. And I'm and you know even myself. The one time I I should have gone to the emergency room and I decided to drive myself to the doctor. I can remember going over the flyover on the highway, thinking I should not be here. Wow, <laughs> it was really stupid. So I'm talking to myself. So anyway, these are these are the four times. Don't second guess. It's not worth it. You don't want to guess wrong. Wrong is bad. Uh, number one is that uncomfortable chest pressure or heartburn may be a heart attack. So if it's something that comes on and it's unusual, um, you know, it could be discomfort in your limbs, dizziness, nausea with women, sudden weakness, you know, just absolutely exhaustion. I know a woman that's my age that had a heart attack and, and her symptoms were sheer exhaustion. She just could barely lift her arms and legs. Um, to move, and it, and it really was a heart attack. It is interesting because women do 
uh, show different symptoms. A, a friend here in San Antonio who's gone public, so I'm not violating uh, any confidences, Donna Tuttle, uh, talked about uh, how she went to the hospital, just wasn't feeling right, uh, went to the ER and they sent her home. Turns out she had a heart attack. Right. And, they, and she survived. She survived, but they didn't. Now, they, that's a story of she went to the hospital and they sent her they home. They misdiagnosed. Yeah. So why did you tell that story? <laughs> no. Just always, if something, the, the, the point is, sorry, is you know yourself right. better than anyone else. And this right. happens to us. You know, everyone right. you know, probably has had an experience with a physician where maybe, you know, the words, I don't feel like I'm being heard or I know something's wrong. I mean, something is not and normal. And you've got to keep saying it And then. you've got to say, right. yeah, you know. So hang in there with that. Okay, so number two, and again, I think I've done all these things wrong. Number two, if you're knocked in the head <laughs> and you lose consciousness, so your brain is in your head, and um, loss of consciousness after, a, after you've gotten hit in the head, vomiting, or a really bad headache, um, you know, traumatic brain injury, you can bleed out, get strokes, die, uh, those kinds of things. So... Um, Every day, 138 people in the United States die of traumatic brain injury. And you don't want to be one of them because you picked up your trash can in the bathroom and turned too quickly, hit your head on the side of the wall, knocked yourself unconscious, and didn't go to the hospital (laughs) like you should have. And you still had memory loss two days later. That's probably not a good thing. Go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. So that one. Um, If you're bleeding severely, done this one too. Uh, Bleeding severely, (laughs) Swiss Army knives are dangerous. That's all I have to say. Um, You know, it's not up to you to decide how bad the cut is. If you're still bleeding after 10 minutes, um, it doesn't matter if it's a small cut. Go Go to the ER. Yeah, you need to figure out if you need some stitches. And if your skin looks like that picture in the health book where you can see dermis, epidermis, all the different layers, (laughs) that's a pretty good indication it's a deep cut and you're going to need stitches. Wow. Um, And then finally, if you get sudden numbness anywhere, numbness, loss of function, sensitivity in your fingers, your muscles, um, you know, that would be an indication because most of the time we don't go around being numb. <laughs> so go to the emergency room. Just make sure that you're not, there's not something strange going on. Keep those in mind. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil. Carol also serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And in just a few minutes, we'll be talking with Bill Wilkinson, who will share with us his story as a caregiver for his mom down in Florida, uh, and the challenges that he faced in that regard. Uh, Carol, so as you take a look at uh, new rules that have been proposed for folks who are in nursing homes, we know there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There Cardiac are... arrest, you help with the sign. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you, we can come back to feeling? that. We can come back to that. I had one more. Well, I, I'm trying to get everybody's health oh, okay. all together well, let's all go to at cardiac once. Arrest. Would you mind? No, I don't mind. Because this was, I mean, I thought this was an interesting question. Cardiac arrest... Or heart attack, is it the same thing? Cardiac arrest or heart attack, is that the same thing? No. No, it's, it's not. not. It's not the same thing, and you don't do the same thing. So what's cardiac arrest? Heart stops. Your heart stops. So that's an electrical problem where your heart malfunctions and stops. And your heart stopping, not good. I know a guy, it happened to him at work, a guy named Gary. A heart stopped, boom, he hit the floor. He actually had a DNR, but nobody knew that. And the intern who was there the first day on the job as an intern knew CPR and brought him back. And then the guy's heart stopped again and again. EMS took him to the hospital, got him going again. In the meantime, his daughter said, hey, wait a minute. She was out of state. They had called her. He's got a, got a DNR. But nobody had, a, you know, nobody had it. They never found it. He wakes up in the hospital. They explained what happened. He said, oh, thank God they didn't follow the DNR. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm going to go tear up that piece <laughs> yeah, of paper. Exactly. But, but your point is. But his heart stopped. But his heart stopped. So that's, that's when you do CPR because the heart is stopped. So, you know, the two things are call 911 and do CPR. If you're the only person there, you call 911 and start CPR. If there are two people there, you start CPR and have the other person call 911. It's that important. Only 10% of people whose hearts stop 
actually make it. So all the TV shows you've seen where they do, you know, they revive these people that their hearts have stopped, you know, that's TV. Your chances are really, really low once your heart stops. So that's cardiac arrest. So a heart attack is a circulatory problem. Um, and that means, you know, that's that blood clot. That's something that's broken off in your bloodstream and goes to the heart and causes damage. Your heart hasn't stopped. You're still breathing. You don't need CPR, but you do need some to call 911 um, and, you know, stop the heart attack. Wow. So that's kind of the difference. And just recognizing that they're not the same thing is, you know, because you don't want to go breaking somebody's ribs who is having a heart attack. They're still breathing. And when you do CPR, <laughs> you may actually break You probably rib, yes. will, yeah, yeah, because you've got to go down two inches. Yeah. Um, if you've taken first aid, it's, it's you know, it's pretty, pretty deep. It's not like a massage. It's not a massage, and you're definitely going to feel it. <laughs> Yeah. So, but a few broken ribs. Hey, if my heart stops, go ahead, break some ribs, do the CPR. Versus death. Yeah, versus death, which is less painful but more permanent. Hmm. Yeah. So, what about people in nursing homes? Yeah, let's talk about that. And there's new regulations that have come along. Well, you know, so nursing home. This is 2017, and there were um, some of the most dramatic. Although it's not going to sound dramatic, but it really they, we haven't changed nursing home laws in a long time. And there have been numerous, numerous hearings. Um, and if you look at nursing homes, we've got them. Um, there's urban, there's rural. It's kind of like voters. Urban and rural, for-profit, non-profit, um, you know, people that only get government funding. And they're very greatly. Um, it was interesting in this article from the New York Times, they talked to an advocate from Leading Age, which is the organization that represents all the not-for-profit nursing homes in the country. And they said, so what grade would you give nursing homes in the United States? And they actually said a C-. minus. And I would be agreeing with them. And I actually, you know, think that, um, you know, they've nonprofits have a lot going for them. So, um, you know, so some of the changes that are coming down our residents can have any visitor they want at any time of day. Doesn't have to just be family as long as they don't bother other residents. See that that seems like it should be kind of obvious. It should be, but a lot of people. But a lot of times it has out. to be only be family and not after nine. So more flexibility. You can choose any roommate you want if you both agree, and this allows same-sex people to be in the same room um, and. Uh, you can have your meals whenever you meal. Food has to be available to you, but outside of prescribed meal times. So that breakfast at seven, lunch at usually lunch is at ten thirty um, in the morning, uh, and yeah. then dinner at four. If you want to eat later and than that, now you it's can. Bedtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's bedtime. Um, and then you know the the last one is um, they have to take reasonable care of your residents' belongings if you have ever had a loved one in a facility such as my mother who was in assisted living, and all of her clothes disappeared. I mean, literally, she had no pants left, and we're watching her wear somebody else's pants, and my mother's only five foot two, and these people were much bigger. And she was the tall one in the family. Yeah, she was the tall <laughs> one, but somebody else was way taller. So, you know, if you lose your eyeglasses, you lose your only pair of pants, you lose your hearing aid, they have to try to keep track of your belongings. We've decided that's not too much to ask, since they only let you take five things in there in the first place. Wow. Um, it's kind of nice if you don't lose them. What they haven't done is... They have not, they're not recommending, you know, minimum staffing or wages or those things that we really do know improve the quality of care, which is, you know, maybe more training for dementia is on the list. But uh, in terms of a staffing ratio um, or the wages. Now, these would be federal regs under CMS? These are federal. Center for Medicare these are, Services? These are federal regs under CMS. Um, but I'm not in you. You raise a point about if if somebody's all private pay, do they have to adhere to them? Um, I, the answer to that would be no. But if you're in a facility that's all private pay, you're probably not worrying about right. any of these things. Well, in theory, that's yes, right. in theory, in theory, you're going to be in a facility that's much more flexible and not as worried with government regs anyway. Because there's overlapping regulation for a lot of nursing homes, state. Well, there are, and you know, federal, and, and people don't realize how regulated nursing homes are. I mean, they are the second most heavily regulated industry outside of atomic energy. Really? So you got nuclear reactors and nursing homes. Wow. And we still have so far to go in the nursing home industry is the sad thing. So that makes me a little nervous about nuclear energy. We're going to bring Bill Wilkinson on with us in just a moment. Bill, the uh, executive director, CEO at Roy Moss Youth Alternatives, helping Texas kids in crisis. We'll talk with him, not about that, uh, but about his own personal situation 
as a long-distance caregiver. We thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host. These shows, by the way, all are available on podcast. You can find them at caregiversos.org, and we hope you get a chance to hear the shows that have gone before. And if you want to share a show with a friend or a neighbor, you can certainly download them and even send them uh, to that friend to listen to or send them the link. Uh, Caregiver SOS on air. And you can also do iTunes. I will throw that out. So if at iTunes, no cost. At no cost, you can go to iTunes and we find That's us right. there. And if you have an Android, there is a Something. music service as well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Google. anybody who has never, Android. Do you have Android? Never Google Play. Or you could go to Google Play, maybe. <laughs> okay. Maybe. maybe. That's Bill Wilkinson, who is our guest and joins us from Roy Moss Youth Alternatives, helping Texas kids in crisis. Uh, nearly 20,000 kids helped since Roy Moss Youth Alternatives was founded. He spends his day, uh, by many definitions, as a caregiver for all these kids. Uh, but day and night, he has been a long-distance caregiver for his mom, who recently passed away. And we're, we're sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And, and, and the reason we twisted your arm to come talk about this, because we know, listening to Caregiver SOS on air, a lot of people in the same situation where mom or dad or brother or sister, aunt or uncle are elsewhere, and you're still involved in their care. Sure, you bet. Um, and for me, it really started when my, my dad needed to go into care. And you flew down to Florida to try to help make that happen. Well, I, I did. Um, I have uh, a sister and two brothers who all live in Florida in various locations. One brother actually lives, um, was actually living with my parents at the time. Um, and because they were involved so much in the day-to-day caregiving of my, my mother, they felt like it was appropriate to farm out the financial piece and the you know, getting these other things done just to kind of spread out the um, uh, the burden. The burden. Thank you. So, so th- that's how it started, and and uh, uh, we did um, get my dad. You know, we had to go through all the financial machinations of getting my dad um, qualified for Medicaid because um, that was the only way he was going to be able to get nursing care. He had Alzheimer's. He wasn't ambulatory. Uh, my four foot ten mother was trying to um, take care of uh, of his needs, and it just got to be too much, and it was putting her at risk. Um, so we got all of that squared away, um, and then he died in in 2014 after about nine months in care, and um, unbeknownst to me, apparently because my mom did, I had d- done such a fine job. Um, she renamed me as power of attorney and executor for her um, uh, care, um, and I didn't find this out until um, she was hospitalized this past fall. And You got a phone call. I got a phone call and a document in the mail that said, oh, by the way, and that's, that's how it all started. Wow. Now, next week, we are talking with an attorney who specializes in uh, geriatrics and these kinds of issues. Yeah, elder uh, law. Elder, elder law. law. Right. Yes. And in, in, in your case... What a shock that had to be. Not that you wouldn't want to help your mom. Uh, uh, sure. Um, I mean, I, I will say that the elder care practice in Florida is is pretty sophisticated. Um, 
and uh, the uh, attorney that we uh, we did engage provided a lot of help um, but again you're dealing with family issues so probably eight or nine years ago I had suggested to the family that we go ahead and spend what was going to be about fifteen hundred dollars maybe two thousand dollars to have an elder attorney review everything set up documents get everything squared away it's not that bad yet we don't have to worry about doing these things so of course nothing ever got done because the siblings couldn't agree on to, what was going to happen. On what was going to happen, they couldn't agree to chip in financially, and so then when things started to happen, you know, necessity never makes a great bargain. So, so just to get my dad's situation squared away was a six thousand dollar cost. Well, there you um, go. <laughs> so, I mean, so that's and that's not unusual. No. I am sure that there are many, many listeners out there who are thinking egads. That is my family uh, because we are all, you know, we don't want to deal with it until we have to. Till you get the call from the ICU. Till you get that call from the ICU. And, yes, when you're panicked and you're tired and you're facing all of these difficult situations, it really is hard to think clearly and, or, or and you, have, you feel like you have such a limit and you may really have a limited amount of time. Sure. So um, that's a... You know, that was probably one of those night those learning Exactly. It was a learning. And you were like, But I knew this nine years ago. Why am <laughs> I having to learn it now again? So, so. when you get the call, uh, so guess what? Mom's in the hospital and you're the executor. You have the power of medical decisions. Sure. What did you do? Well, um really at that time it was about trying to figure out what the diagnosis was. Um thankfully my sister and my brothers were were there and they were um pressing the doctors, um, but there were competing diagnoses, and it took about three or four weeks. So, so mom got um, hospitalized on September uh, 17th, and it probably wasn't until about October 10th um, that we had some idea of what was going on. There was definitely a cancer. We didn't know exactly what it was. About two weeks later, um, she had been, she had already been released. Two weeks later, she goes back into the hospital. Um, now we've got a much clearer diagnosis, and so she's 88 years old, relatively healthy, um, you know, frail, um, living independently. Um, and uh, what basically what happened was um, she had three different types of cancers, so all primary. Mm-hmm. So two pri- uh, uh, different. Uh, cancer of thyroid in each thyroid plus lung cancer plus congestive heart failure plus COPD um, although my mom you know in her ever classic way said everybody over 80 has COPD <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway um, so then I, f- I flew out because you know the, the feeling was is that the siblings had all spent their time and they had spent money and had lost, you know, time at work and all of that. So now it's my turn to go out. And so I spent my time uh, at the beginning of November. I spent about 10 days taking care of mom, getting her to – we were doing some palliative chemo at the time um, and, and getting that. And, and she was in pretty good shape. She kind of had a rebound from not having to be in the hospital environment and being right. in her own home. Um, no dementia? No dementia whatsoever. Cool. That's um, good. And uh, given given all kinds of heck to the nurses' aides who were <laughs> trying to trying to help out. We we were um, fortunate enough that we were able to get nurse aid support twenty four seven, mostly because um, it was a terminal diagnosis. We right. knew how much money. We did had they do to the hospice? Did they put her on hospice? They did put her on hospice. That was also a little bit of a shock getting the hospice care kit, which um, consisted of a number of uh, drugs that I wasn't necessarily expecting to see shipped to my door. Um, but uh, nonetheless. Um, like morphine. Yes. Yeah. And um, I mean, the good news was, is mom was never in a day of pain. She never had, she never um, took a pain med. Um, 
she had uh, you know none of those complaints and and there were times when I was cooking for her and she insisted that um, you know she be able to chop up the vegetables and she would sit at the table and she would take a couple hours to chop up the vegetables <laughs> <laughs> so and, what did you learn about yourself as you sat there watching well what you know, my relationship with my mom was great. Um, it was the relationship with my siblings that was making me nuts because functionally um, there was a lot of um, guilt going around. Um, you know, I'm the one at a distance. Um, uh, you know, we all know I have in-laws who live here in San Antonio. I know that we will be the primary caregivers here, but that isn't as important when your mother's involved. Right. Um, and so it was a very uh, – um, it was most challenging with with the siblings trying to get everything together, um, trying to get the financial information together, which is a pretty um, sterile type of effort. Um, and, you know, it was expressed to me, well, you know, why are you being so matter of fact about these things? And, and it's like because it's finances and we have to be matter of fact. We have to understand what we have available, what we're doing. Um, and again, my, my siblings were under great stress at the time, and they had, you know, gone through the burden of all that caregiving. So as you go through this, and we're going to find out in just a minute, uh, after your mom passes away, your dad had passed away, uh, are you and your siblings getting along better now, or is there some residual that... I can tell by your smile. We'll talk about this more in just a minute. <laughs> He's Bill Wilkinson. I'm Ron Aaron. She's Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. See, we need to do some video of these shows because that's right. We could, that's yeah, an example right. of a look live is stream, worth. Live stream. Live stream. That's right. That's the radio. right. Yeah, yeah, you can't see my smile on the radio. No, they can't. But you can hear this on 9:30 a.m. <laughs> the answer. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We come to you every Sunday at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. But you can also hear our shows on podcast, and you can go to caregiversos.org to find them, and they're available to you. Also available at no cost on iTunes, and you can try Google Play as well. They are out there in the vast cloud, which I've never understood. Vast but it, cloud. But it seems to work. Cloud seems to work. Whatever that is. Yes, Whatever it does. that is. So, Bill, we were talking about how it became stressful with your siblings. A brother and a sister? Uh, two brothers and one sister. Two brothers, one sister, right? Mm -hmm. And you've you, got some stress, give and take. Your mom passes away. Your dad had passed away. Uh, was there some residual difficulty, or have you all gotten back together? Well, we've we've started to get back together. So a lot of um, what was going on, thankfully, my mom had um, pre-planned her funeral and my father's funeral. So none of that was the issue. That's pretty cool that they had taken care of that. They had. They had. and Pre-planned um, and prepaid. Yes. Um, and, and that was great. It was it was actually very interesting just, you know, seeing um, the coffin that my mom had picked out because it was – clearly something she had picked out and i didn't know that at the time but but i'm like wow that looks like something mom would, would have picked oh, that's and, funny and it's like well she did <laughs> you know so um so yeah we we uh you know there's just there's combination of um guilt stress comedy um uh you know during the funeral service the priest kept um uh, calling my mom by by the incorrect name. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just oh, you know no. the kind of that kind of thing. Oh. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, we we moved through the we moved through the uh, service and um, got through. You know, my sister wrote the obituary. Everybody had kind of had a different uh, a different job, um, and that happened on one day. And then the next day, the task of if there's, you know, being in the house, if there's something that's sentimental to you, you know, go ahead and, and label it. Yeah, and if there's it. more than one person who's tagged it, then we'll talk about it. And that actually um, uh, went swimmingly well. Um, what, what was 
Problem. Well, what, what was not swimmingly? What was not swimmingly was kind of the financial thing, and I think that that's important to understand. So my mom had designated all of us as beneficiaries to her bank account and as beneficiaries of the house, um, so that doesn't go through probate. Um, but interestingly enough, um, while while the sta- designation a- of being a beneficiary would seem to indicate that it's payable upon death, um, it wasn't. So they closed my mom's account and established a new account for the beneficiaries, and it took seven weeks for the bank to fund the account with the funds, and there was no interest accrued to us. And we're not talking about a huge amount of money here, but um, and we had the means to be able to continue to pay the mortgage and do those types of things. And we've all kind of taken our, our, our turn doing that. Um, uh, but uh, again, it's been a it's been a constant discussion. Um, uh, getting the Social Security Administration and the Office of Personnel Management, which is uh, where my mom received a spousal benefit from my dad's retirement, um, I, I still haven't gotten through to OPM. Um, that would be the Office of Personnel, Office of Personnel Management. Management. Yeah, um, uh, literally, the phone is busy, um, which is very, very frustrating. Well, there is no business in America that allows a customer to call and get a busy signal. And Not in, anymore. No, there shouldn't be. There are kids today who don't know what a busy signal is. <laughs> Exactly. And and so not even a phone tree. And so, as I said, you know, my mom passed on, on December 17th, and I still have not spoken to anybody at OPM to let them know. Um, and so they, of course, are still trying to send a pension to an account has, that's been closed. Right. And we need statements from last year so that we can make sure the taxes are squared away and all of that. And she's so, probably still a registered voter in Florida. Um, that could be true. Hmm. That could be well, true. There you go. The <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Say no more. For, for those who are listening, who uh, and and because you know we're all going to go, and all of our relatives at some point are going to go. What advice would you have? What What would you do now, knowing what you know that you might have done differently? Well, I I think one of the things change is, your phone number. Yeah, change my number. <laughs> um, I do think that one of the things that you have to do is you do have to try to bring up the subject with your parents earlier um, and have a real conversation about it. I mean, my mom was um, you know a little Italian lady from you know uh, Bari, Italy, um, and if you talked about death, it might actually happen, and so. Um, it took a while. Wow. For, it took her experience with my dad to realize, to, to realize that there's a mechanical piece of this. It's, that's exactly. Just practical and exactly. It's, and it's and it's very difficult to have to do, you know, like planning a funeral. You know, my mother also just passed away and just having to plan the funeral. You know, it is very, very stressful and difficult, and you wonder if you're doing the right thing. I mean, what a relief yeah. that to not to have to make those kinds of decisions. Well, and ultimately, she, I, I'm a strong believer that, that we all deserve to have a good death. And my mom did have a good death. Um, my dad's was much more, much more troubling because he was in the hospital. He was going through all the heroic measures, um, getting different kinds of advice. And so wow. um, I do have to say, you're talking about stressful. So we were at the uh, cemetery, and um, uh, there's, uh, it's a, it was a military cemetery. And so they take you to the, uh, you know, the area where you say your goodbyes be, because you're not allowed to go to graveside um, anymore. And, um, and uh, there's no military ceremony. And, and so the, the officer who's running the, the deal um, uh, leans to the, the four sibs up in the front row and says, would anybody like to say anything? And my, and you did, my, did you know this was going to happen? No, oh, no. so no, he hadn't planned on so, that. So, and even better, um, my my I'm adopted, so I, I tend to be a little bit more outspoken to my, than my my brother and sibling, my brother and sister who are more quiet. Um, they all turned to me and they said, "You've you, done public speaking. You Why do don't it. you say something?" <laughs> um, and it's like. Okay, so um, so I, I did get up and speak for a couple of minutes, and you know they were 
um, both pleased and impressed, which is good. Um, but uh, and how hard for you? Yeah, yeah. And I haven't had to sweat that hard in a while. And oh. and uh, uh, but uh, but we got through it. But the I think the real issue is um, how do you establish um, trust between the siblings and the parents? Um, do things that. Um, uh, allow you to avoid some of the more complex legal processes. So, for example, joint account ownership. Right. Um, uh, trust sometimes can can be helpful, but there there are ways that um, uh, that you can uh, set up that that financial piece that allows things to flow more more easily. Um, uh, going with your parents to their medical appointments because. You know, you just really don't want them to interpret the information for you. It's a lot easier to go with them so that they know you're you're with them if you can do that. So I would encourage people to do that. Um, one of my nieces, um, very grateful, and and really the the only moment that I really cried was when I thanked her for having taken care of my mother. Um, she used to come home every co- every weekend from college. She was a sophomore, um, and she would come home and she would, on her own volition, you know, take my mom to mass. They would go out to lunch together. That was their that was their shtick, and cool. um, my mom just really appreciated that. And um, um, they were also there when when she received last rites. So um, you know, mm-hmm. in the Catholic tradition. Um, you have the Sacrament of Last Rites. Um, and um, so it was very interesting because uh, there was a priest and my brother and um, my one of my nieces and nephew um, were there. My sister and her family were actually on the phone in Tampa with a priest there also participating in communion. Well, so cool. that was something yes. that yeah. happened very quickly that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm – Quaker by by religious affiliation, but I do understand that um, for those of Catholic faith, that that's really an important mm-hmm. thing. Right, and and how how nice when the families can get along, and sometimes what helps you know to have those keep from having conflicts is doing what you actually tried to do. And I think those of us who are caregivers, you know, you had a, a fairly positive experience. Not there are other people who you haven't had such a positive, but for all of us to take on the idea that we need to take care of our own affairs, I mean, certainly I can appreciate, um, you know, all, after having had several relatives pass, you know, the need to make sure that my own legal affairs are in order because I wouldn't want to put some of those burdens on family members that we after had to my go through. dad passed away. My brother and I went with my mom to the funeral home to pick a casket. They'd done no pre-planning. And in Cleveland, it was only Berkowitz Cumin, which buried the Jews who died. And so you knew where you were going. You didn't have to arrange much, and they were there. And we went in, and it's one of those great moments where my brother and I have an outlook that you don't need to spend a lot of money on a casket because it gets 20 minutes of exposure, and then it's in the ground. But my mother, and, and they pray at some uh, nursing homes. Oh, it's awful. On, on oh, yeah. this exact well, you know, Saul ought to be in something. Yeah, mahogany. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes. So w- Jimmy and I were looking <laughs> at a three grand pine coffin, which you could have built for 500 bucks. Uh, and my mother was looking at a $15,000 coffin. And I think she ended up, I don't remember the details now, but she, she sent Somewhere a well. in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Eight or 9,000. Right. But that, that pre-planning, I mean, and maybe that's, you know, if that's what you want, sure. uh, you know, if that's what your mother wanted, she picked out her casket, and right. it didn't exactly. matter which one it was. It's irrelevant. she picked it out, she and she paid it for it. She paid for it. And yeah. she paid for exactly. it. Exactly. And I think it's, I, I think the other thing that's really important is to know that you are going to have conflicts with your family, um, but you have to find a way to push through them. All of us are going to say things we don't want to say because we're frustrated and stressed in the moment. And somehow you have to, you know, move over that, not, you know, be too freaked out about it and be able to push through. So how are you doing now? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm still doing some paperwork. <laughs> you um, will be for a while. I just got notice from my dad's old bank that uh, they're sorry that he passed away in 2014. Wow. So wow, they're right on top of things. Excellent. Gina's excellent. dad died about 15, 20 years ago. Two days ago, her mother said, 
hey, guess what? I found this life insurance policy going through old papers, and it's in your name. So she hands the paper to my wife, who called the insurance company, and they said, Oh my, that's somewhere in the archive records. So yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to have we're going to have yeah. to go to the microfish. So if, it never ends, <laughs> and there's no readers, so it we don't know what ends. we're going to do. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, my yeah, pleasure. Appreciate it, Bill Wilkinson, and you find him at Roy Moss Youth Alternatives, where he is the uh, CEO. And Carol Zerniel, speaking for her. I'm Ron Aaron. Guess what? Take ten up next, right here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer on Caregiver SOS on air. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. At the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, an expert not only on caregiving but in addictions as well, and Carol Zerniel, who is our co-host on Caregiver SOS on-air. She sat right up when I said that. Carol Zerniel, that was nice. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol. As we take a look at issues we deal with on on Take 10, we've danced around this one from time to time, but we haven't really confronted it head on. And that is uh, in in dealing with someone, let's say family, caregiving, care recipient, what makes more sense and what works better, compassion or empathy? Well, there is a new book out by a Yale psychologist, Paul Bloom, and the book is called Against Empathy. Um, and he's talking about the difference between empathy and compassion. One engages your emotions, and one is more intellectual. So first of all, Jamie, why don't you tell us the difference between empathy and compassion? Well, it's interesting. In light of this book that you're describing, I'm not sure they're mutually exclusive, Carol. Uh, In fact, uh, in my lifetime, whether it's mindfulness or just the concepts of empathy, um, and compassion. Um, empathy is a gateway to compassion. So it, it, it really cannot be mutually exclusive. It's, it's understanding how someone really feels is, is empathy and so, trying to imagine how that might feel for you. to motive relating, basically. Right. So, so empathy is where you're, you're feeling the same, theoretically, you, you are taking on the same feelings the other person is having. In the words of Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. Well, it's exactly right. And again, being that as a motive, as a, a kind of a, a motive of relating, as, as I as I say, it's a doorway, if you will. Now, compassion. That's like takes un- it further. That's understanding the other person's problems. So you're not necessarily feeling their emotion, but you're understanding their predicament. You're understanding where they're coming from, and it. He, in this book, he talks about it would be a more active response so that you can, like, you don't want your physician, for example, to go, I feel your pain. You want your physician fix to my pain. fix my pain, where you do something about it. And, he, and part of what Bloom argues, uh, I gather, Jamie, is uh, it, it's a kind of a sticky little thorn bush when you get involved in empathy and feeling all those uh, uh, related feelings, and, and it doesn't let you step back and compassionately address the issue it can be a tar baby if you can't get further it's a gateway to compassion and so yes at the end of the day empathy allows you to hopefully feel or feel compelled if you will to walk in somebody else's shoes that you understand where they're coming from Um, but compassion you know takes it another step further and it's a healthier sort of way to approach it it's a feeling that what the person is feeling and holding it, accepting it, 
and taking some kind of action, if you will. In meditation world, we we have what's called uh, uh, a meta loving kindness meditation practice. That did you just you, say meadow loving kind meadow loving meta? Oh, meta. I was like meadow loving. <laughs> no, it's actually you know it's a it's a beautiful sort of uh, uh, Indian word for peace. So in meta or meta, loving kindness, meta loving, a state meta, of mind. M-E-T-T-A. Yes, yes, yes got it, that. it is. It, when we go into this world of compassion, it, it kind of helps greatly because you can silently repeat, uh, kind of repeat phrases, if you will, that acknowledges not just the person in front of you, but the suffering that so many people around the world is feeling as a result. So you literally, in empathy, kind of have empathy with one person, and this is why it becomes a tar baby. If you can't get out of that, you usually end up in that dark, depressed kind of spiral with that one person. But then if you can actually take empathy and have it as a doorway to compassion, then you understand how the world is feeling in a different sort of way. And you can actually do meditations about others' suffering, if you will. And so you know, to me, it's always been that, that compassion has been an active word, and, and empathy has been a feeling word that, that a lot of people just can't get out of. Well, you know, I have to confess that, you know, in a geeky kind of way, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about Star Trek Next Generation as you're talking, which... Oh, you for, are. Which I, know as, you, I, know, I know the episode you're So the about, very, too. very first episode, so for the boomers out there, the sci-fi people and the, the other geeks that are listening... The, the Horda! The, no, 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 no the not the Horda. Which no, one? The very first... This is Next Generation where on the very first episode, they had the actress playing Deanna Troy, who was the counselor on the ship, she actually felt everything everybody yeah. felt around her and she in the first episode she's like screaming and crying and and just going through all these emotions which was exhausting just watching it on the show so by the third episode all of that was gone and she was talking about well this person's feeling anger this person's feeling sadness this person's about to get you know wants revenge and she could talk about it kind of from a distance um, and I think, and that was much more comfortable to watch, and that's the way she stayed for the rest of all the years of the series. Um, but I, you know, just thinking of that very first episode where it didn't really wasn't really helpful from a storyline or an audience line or just in real life to be so bogged down in the other person's emotions, it wasn't helpful. You're so you were so much younger, obviously, than Ron and I, because in the original Star Trek. Well, yes, and I know the episode on the empath that you're talking about, where she takes yeah, on. She didn't even talk. No, she didn't talk at, at all, all, but she had a beautiful, expressive face. Exactly. And then she would also become stuck, and this is a great sort of metaphor for your listeners, she would become stuck in the other person's pain and feeling so much. It would almost be a, like a prison for her, but she could not. she could not talk. She could only feel. And I guess if you kind of juxtapose compassion, even though it's more of a silent meditation and it's a feeling, compassion is that you do get involved not just in the person, you get involved in the active thinking of the suffering of all of those people going through this, which literally takes you out of this sort of self-engrossed, a bit sort of narcissistic sort of world that, that, em- that empathy can become if you get stuck on that, as I mentioned, tar paper. For those just joined us, I want to remind you, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, Take 10, which comes at the end of each one of our programs. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. My guess is they did focus groups after those first couple of uh, segments and shows and said, we got to change this character. Well, People don't like what? this. Yeah, they gave her new clothes, new hair, and a new attitude. Yeah. So it was just not working at no, all. No, I guess. <laughs> but I thought for no, a minute... You know... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. As I, as I do talks on what we call compassion fatigue, which became a, you know, a very large psychological industry, if you will, that dealt with burnout of first responders, that, that's how I got into it, and then caregivers and, and those people who are actually involved with, with chronically or terminally ill. Um, you know, that to me, you know, you, that, that word is compassion fatigue. Now, most of the new mindfulness, or I call it mindfulness since it's so popular, uh, people are saying that really we shouldn't be doing these lectures on compassion fatigue. We should be doing these lectures with our doctors and healthcare providers on 
empathy fatigue, and that compassion is the answer to it. Compassion is empathy in action. So are you going to be changing the title of the workshop? I know we had you speak on compassion fatigue at our caregiver summit last year. You did, and, and I was really debating whether I would change not just the, the concept on stage. We only had 60 minutes, but I think that from here on out, I do subscribe much more to the fact that, that we're trying to get people out of empathy fatigue, and right. that is really the, the part that focuses on themselves or gets them stuck, and really get them to take empathy, put it in action, and create compassion so that we will start morphing to the concept of empathy fatigue as opposed to compassion fatigue. Well, if you take a look at first-year, second-year, third-year med students, uh, empathy must be a large part of what they feel when they first start seeing patients in the hospital. Well, absolutely, Ron, and empathy without boundaries creates an extraordinarily difficult situation. And that's why self-care is so critical if you're going to emerge from the world of empathy into compassion. Self-care really means, you know, your mind and your body and your soul. Your first-year or second-year residents are great examples of that. You know, there's a high incidence of suicidal ideations among them. They don't have a self-care plan. They are working 24-7, and they do get stuck in that world of empathy. So they need to get out into love and safety and health and happiness will just have a few seconds so in this closing seconds i would just say you know we we as caregivers you know you can get too close to a situation you can get too emotionally involved so i'm just hearing that a little bit of distance you know is probably healthy along with taking care of yourself while you're taking care of the other person last word carol zernial thank you dr jamie heisman i'm ron aaron thanks for joining us on caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.